0: Well, the book of Acts. And while they were gazing into heaven, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good, morning. good morning. We had some pretty pretty fast liturgical action up here. If you missed it while you were singing the hymn, you may notice there's a candle right there called the Paschal Candle, that great big candle by the lectern, and it symbolizes Jesus being raised from the dead. It's lit all Easter season from the day of resurrection, where it's lit, lighted until today, 40, well, 40 days later, and it's extinguished after the gospel is read, symbolizing that Jesus has ascended back into heaven. And the reason I bring that up is because today is not the Feast of the Ascension, but we're going to talk about it because I moved it here. (laughs) The Feast of the Ascension is always 40 days after Easter, which is always last Thursday. But I moved it to today for one very simple reason. How many people ever heard someone preach about the Ascension of Jesus? Not many. I mean, I was surprised. We were at the rector's forum this morning and very and then this is a, a sad commentary in the state of the Episcopal Church, but it's true. Most people, you know, we know about the crucifixion, we know about the birth, we know about Easter, we know about his crucifixion, his resurrection. But like but where's Waldo? Where did he go? And I've been thinking about this all week. This is a Feast of the Ascension. It's actually one of my very favorite feast days of the entire church's year. And it's a question that's been going around in my brain all week. And it's this. What does it mean to say goodbye? Goodbye. What does it mean to say goodbye? You know, a story. When I was a a, a boy, I don't know, five or six years old, we lived in Fairfield, Connecticut. My father was a uh, pretty big muckety muck in Smith, Klein Corporation. He was a CPA and did a bunch of finance work, a gift I did not inherit. (laughs) But uh, we were in. I remember my dad never traveled a whole lot, but one time I remember he was getting ready to go on a on a trip to. Uh, Amsterdam, Holland, and Germany. I'd forgotten all about this except last weekend I was in an airport in St. Louis and we walked by an advertisement for KLM Airlines and it just triggered a memory in my head of this very thing which I'm going to share with you. My dad was getting ready to go on a trip for two weeks and he gathered me and my brother and my mom together and he said, I'll be gone. Um, he, said, but, he said, but don't worry, I'll be back soon. I said, okay dad. He'd never been gone for two weeks. He said, I'm leaving, but I'll be back soon. He said, I'll call every night, which he did, and it was late on their time. I've been thinking about this all week in the context of the ascension today. Jesus ascending back into heaven. He's gone, right? He's left, but it's only only temporary. He left. My father left, but he wasn't absent. Jesus, today, on the Feast of the Ascension, he says to us goodbye for now. The ascension is 40 days after Easter, where Christ ascends on his throne of glory into heaven. Paul says that during while he was walking around, we've been reading about this all Easter, Ananias, uh, Doubting Thomas, all the characters in the story who met Jesus in his resurrected state, but now he has gone back to heaven from whence he came. His earthly mission is concluded for now. He says goodbye, but I'll be back. Let's look at this today in two points. Jesus says goodbye to us today on the feast of the Ascension. His goodbye, and then secondly, and the cool part is his promise of return. His goodbye and his promise of return. Before we jump into that, the promise, the goodbye, and the promise. Let me just make a point. If you've never thought about this before, I want to challenge you to think about something. Actually. Pretty simple, but pretty profound. Whenever I learn something, I like to, maybe you're different, but I like to learn the big picture, right? The whole overarching story, and then go back and fill in the details, right? If you're going to learn about the Civil War, for example, you learn the great big snapshots, and then you go back and you backfill the details. So, the Bible. Did you ever notice that the Bible, this book right here, is a circle. I mean, it's not a circle. It's a rectangle. But I, mean, but I mean, the way the Bible works is actually a circle. And I don't mean circular in, in argument. I mean circular in the trajectory of salvation history. Let me show you. We read in Scripture, where does the Bible start? What's the first book of the Bible? The, rec- the pastor asked. Genesis, right? And what do we see in Genesis chapter 2? We see God creates Adam and Eve, and he creates Adam and Eve in his place called Eden, and God is with them. He lives with them. He speaks with them like I'm talking to you. They talk to him like I'm talking to you. In other words, heaven and earth, listen to this, heaven and earth are the same. You know, it's funny. People think of heaven as physical, like floating on a cloud, playing a harp. I said that once. We had a harpist over here and she got really mad at me. It Takes a lot to make a harpist angry. Uh, But uh, heaven and earth are, the way the Bible teaches us is that heaven and earth were were physical places. In fact, the Garden of Eden is given a location. It's between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, which is somewhere in modern-day Iraq. Now... Eden's not there anymore because after Adam and Eve were in this physical place, what happens next, and it happens fast, is the they fall. The Adam and Eve disobey God. They are cast out of Eden. Eden, and whatever, this, this uh, heaven and earth being united. Now there's a break. Heaven is here, or separate, I should say, and earth is here. And we see that going on and on and on. And in fact, the consequences of that break, stay with me, are still with us today, All of the suffering in this world, in your life and in mine, is because of that break between heaven and earth. The fall, because God literally created us to live on earth with him. Life, heaven and earth, were the same place. But now we live in a fallen world where bad things happen to people. Wars in Ukraine, kids getting shot in a school in Texas, people dying of sickness and disease. You know, people say, oh, the Bible's old-fashioned. There's no wisdom in there. If you want a coherent view of how the world works, read this. It's all here, and it explains everything. Let me show you this. All after Eden, and we are cast out of Eden, all of the evil and brokenness and fallenness is introduced into the human experience. But I want to challenge you to remember something. It wasn't supposed to be this way. God did not create us to live in this world. He created us to live in Eden, in paradise, in heaven with him. But we walked. And if you continue on the trajectory of the Bible, that's why it's a circle, we see that Jesus, God watched us walking from the entire Old Testament. is a story of God's people doing the best they can in a fallen world. And Jesus, God finally says, all right, (laughs) I'm coming down there. And what does he do? Listen, he leaves his throne... He descends the throne. He comes to earth. You know this. He comes to earth. He's born, Christmas. He dies on the cross. He's resurrected, Easter. He's dead. He's buried. He comes back to life. He's resurrected. He wanders around for, 50, for 40 days. And then today we see almost the conclusion of the circle. He ascends back into heaven from whence he came. So here's the question for today that I want to talk about a little bit where did he go exactly? You got to know this. Where did he go? We claim he's physically resurrected from the dead. He's still physical at the ascension. Where did he go? Because if we're going to claim that Jesus is alive and real and not just some imaginary friend somewhere, you've got to know where did he go? Because where he went is where he still is. There's an old story, you may know this, uh, back, uh, what was his name, um, Yuri Gregorian, Gregorian, I'm probably mispronouncing his name, he's a Russian guy, was the first cosmonaut, cosmonaut you know, good faithful commie that he was, I well, shot up into the atmosphere, he looked around, he says, well, I was up in heaven, I didn't see God, there's no God. Okay, well, that's because Yuri Gregorian is a stupid man. And the reason is because God, Scripture does not describe heaven and earth as heaven is up in the sky and earth is down below. That is not how the first century writers understand the break between heaven and earth. This idea of a double-decker universe, right, where there's heaven, earth here and heaven up and above, that is not the way the biblical authors understand heaven. Let me show you this. I'll be very brief. N.T. Wright, Bishop of Durham, retired, says, the Bible uses the words heaven and earth to describe these two—it's a metaphorical language, so stay with me on this— two uh, parallel and occasionally interlocking universes, realms of existence, inhabited by the creator God on the one hand and humanity on the other. I want you to think about that. This is really important. That heaven and earth are—it's not heaven is in the sky and earth is down below. No. Heaven and earth are, biblically speaking, two separate— Planes of existence, you might say. Both real, both separate, both physical. But they're not interconnected. Which why is when Jesus ascension, this is how most people read the ascension. Jesus Jesus ascension, heaven is not he flies up in the air like a helium balloon. My daughter Amy, when we were one of the kids, I can't remember which one of them, we were at the Philadelphia Zoo once, and this happens to every parent. You get them a helium balloon, you tie it around their wrist, you know, and you're walking along, and inevitably the balloon breaks free, and it floats away. Been there? Man, that's, that's, that's trauma for a five-year-old. That's not what happens to Jesus. This idea of him ascending into heaven is not he floats up into a sky like a helium balloon, The word ascend there means he ascends a throne. And it says a cloud took him out of their sight. And most people think of, because that's what it sounds like, he flies up into the sky in a, a cumulus cloud or a cirrus cloud or whatever they are, blocks him from view, right? That's not the cloud. The cloud here is a Greek word, nephile. And it's not a natural cloud. It is a cloud which describes, listen, the presence of God. We see this over and over again. If you know, if you know in the Old Testament, we see the temple filled with smoke, Nephile, on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus is transfigured before them, and he's surrounded by smoke, Nephile. And now we see Jesus ascending a throne, and we see this Nephile, this presence of God surrounding him. And it says here, they looked into heaven. It didn't say they looked up, they looked on. So let me challenge you. Just think of it like this for a moment with me. This will change your whole view of this. What if it worked like this? Not them looking up into heaven like this. Whoa! But like this. You see my difference? It says they were gazing on heaven. I want to challenge you to think of it like this. God did not float up into the sky. That sounds like a, like a kid's story. It's a lot more profound. I would submit to you this that what the apostles saw was, forgive the metaphor, a hole punched, a wormhole, a break in the time space dimension. I describe it, it's supernatural. But they gaze, are gazing into heaven and seeing Jesus on his throne. So where is he, even now? He's in heaven, physically. He is in heaven now. He is present with us when we gather and worship. He is present with us, he says so, in the bread and the wine of the Eucharist. He comes to us in bread and wine, physically. And Jesus says something even more profound. You've heard this a million times. He says, when two or three are gathered together in my name, it's us right now, frankly. He says, I am among you. What does that mean? Picture, have you ever been to a cocktail party or a party with a lot of people around? It's kind of a crowd, everyone's kind of milling around and chatting and talking. Jesus is there, or even in this room right now, Jesus says, yes, I am on my, I am on my throne of glory in heaven, but I am also, when you all gather together in my name, I am with you. He's between us. He is among us, side by side with us. So the first point I want to point, thing I want to point out to here is Jesus' goodbye isn't really a goodbye. It's a relocation. He returns to the throne from whence he came, where he is even now in heaven, physically existing, running the universe, running it from afar. Sometimes these two planes intersect. We call that a miracle. Sometimes you've been in your own life or something happened and you were just incredibly aware of the presence of God. You've been there. Sometimes that break between heaven and earth, it comes a little bit closer together than, than normal. You come to the Eucharist on Sunday, you receive the body and blood of Jesus, that is an intersection between heaven and earth. You know, when I come back to the story about my dad going to, overseas to Europe for two weeks, when my dad left for two weeks, he said he'd be gone, but he said, I'm, I'm not going to be absent. He said he would call every night, and he did. Every night he called. And I want to challenge you to think of it like this. It's the same with our Lord. He's gone, but he still calls. He's gone, but he still takes our call. We call that prayer. We call that worship. We call that the sacrament of his body and blood. He's gone for now, but he'll return. And that leads me to my second point, then, the promise of when he comes back. Uh, The prophet Daniel, um, Old Testament prophet, chapter 7, verse 14, describes, he sees, Daniel sees in the Old Testament, sees this vision of a king, and I know it to you, enthroned in glory. Verse 14, chapter 7, the book of Daniel. And to him was given power and dominion and glory and kingdom that all nations and peoples should serve him. Here's the thing Jesus' promise is that he is active, he is managing the affairs of the world, he is shepherding and leading his people, he is here with us even now, even though he's temporarily absent. It's an important point because the God of the Bible is not some far-off deity, not some Allah, right, who's in the, who you can't approach. No, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. He is the sovereign Lord of the world cr- who rules all creation, who, because of, we, of living in a fall, permits suffering to occur. He permits it, but he permits it for us to grow. It says here in Romans 8, I've said this to you before, all things work to good. Listen to this. All things work to good, even the bad stuff, even the terrible stuff. All things work to good for those who trust in the Lord. And Jesus says to his, ascends into heaven, he says, wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's next week, Pentecost. He says, wait, wait. I'm leaving. I'll be with you. I'm present but be patient. That's not easy, is it? Just this morning, we were in Mectors Forum, and somebody said, well, when Christ after Christ ascends, what is our job to be? Our job, friends, is to be patient. I mean, how, how difficult it is to remember that our Lord is not in some far-off far corner of the sky, but he's present with us even now. How difficult is it for us to forget that Jesus Christ is in fact in control even when things fall apart? How difficult is it to to be patient when kids get shot in Texas or Ukraine is invaded by the Russians or whatever? Fill in the blank. How hard is it to be patient, to trust Jesus, to do what we can do and trust him for the rest. There's not, I, I, will, I said this this morning in my sermon, this past week on, on, two, on these kids that were shot in Texas, we write about it. Lots of people like to go on Twitter and tweet sanctimony. Guess what? That does nothing to solve the problem. Lots of people like to complain and blame whatever. That does Immigration or gun control, that doesn't solve the problem either. There is nothing in this, there is nothing that I could have done to have solved that problem last week, and you either, except to pray, and that's enough. Friends, most of the life we live in is out of our control, so Jesus says, listen, I'm going, I'm still with you. Be patient. I've got this. I've got this. I've got you. If that's true, and it is, then every struggle we have in this life is an opportunity to do what we can do to trust in the Lord, and to learn patience. You know, they say patience, patience is a virtue. You know what that means? You're not born with it. You want to find the most impatient people in the world? Find a newborn, right? It's the truth. Patience means recognizing there's a lot of things wrong with this world. God knows that too. Recognizing our own limitations of what we can actually do to solve the problem but also trusting in Jesus, his surpassing sovereignty and power, sitting on his throne of glory. He knows what he's doing, so we are called to be patient. So Let me me challenge you this morning on this. Where are you worrying or struggling in your life right now? We've all got, everybody's got something, right? Let's just be honest. Everyone's got something. Most of you have lots of things, so do I lots of stuff that I worry about, or struggle with, or am concerned about, or unsure, things I want solved now, God. (laughs) Be patient. God knows what he's doing, and these are opportunities for you and I, friends, to remember Christ is, in fact, seated on the throne. He knows what he's doing, and it's an opportunity for us to use the struggles and challenges of today to learn patience. And what does that mean? It means to trust God even when things are a mess. It's going to be okay. I love the final scene of this story. As they're looking at, <laughs> as they're, uh, they're, these, the apostles see Jesus ascending his throne, they're gazing into the wormhole, into heaven, and the angels say, and this rhetorical question, I love it, I never noticed this until a couple days ago. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, whom you know, will come back in the same way you saw him go. Let me challenge you to realize something. Um, I said the Bible's a circle, right? It is. Here's what I mean. We start off in Eden. We've been, through the, we've been through the entire story where Christ has come, died for our sins, been ascended back into heaven, and there he sits on his throne. The next and last chapter of the play, of the Bible, is his return. Genesis 2, Revelation 22. And what happens in Revelation 22 when Christ descends again from his throne? Eden, the break, when Christ returns, heaven and earth are reunited. The dead are raised. Evil is judged. All the stuff of this world, which is pathetic, will be resolved by our King. All suffering will cease, all judgments will be given. All the things in your life that you strive for, that you hope for, that you wish for, all the justice that we, the human heart demands, will be meted out. Friends, that is our hope, not in this world, but in the world to come. You know, as we sing the final hymn, um, I, I caught flack with this once a couple, well, many years ago. Uh, one of my favorite hymns is, Lo, he comes with clouds descending. We sing it every Advent. It's about Christ's return. It's also, I like to sing it, the final hymn today on the Feast of the Ascension. As we sing those words, Lo, he comes with clouds descending, it doesn't mean descending out of the sky, it means descending his throne. Look, lo, he comes, descending his throne to come back and finish the job once and for all. Because you know what? Dad's coming back. He'll return. He will conquer. He will restore. He He will put all things to rights. So we are all to pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly.